0: Hello, you beautiful people, and welcome to Camping Out. I am Dan Camp, and tonight we are talking with our friend Brock Fisher around the fire, and he's going to let us know a little bit about how life can take some unexpected changes that lead you in the right direction. He'll talk to us a little bit about uh, the value in reading a river before you run it, as well as his experience as an outdoor educator and the things that he's seen in educating our youth. Um, who might not have as much access to the outdoors as some of us do. So sit back, relax, go ahead and pour a beverage now if you'd like. We are going to dig on in. I hope you guys find this um, as interesting and as impactful as I did. Welcome to Camping Out. I'm Dan Camp, and tonight we are sitting around the fire with a man of many talents. He has been involved in the outdoor industry for several years and has held down positions including raft guide and outdoor educator. He is intensely interesting and has a heart of gold. I'm so happy to share him with everybody today. Brock Fisher, welcome to Camping Out, my friend.
1: Hey, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here.
0: Hey, what are you drinking tonight? That's an important question when you're sitting around the campfire. I feel like uh, your beverage of choice tells a lot about you.
1: It is, right? Uh, tonight I'm drinking some some bullet bourbon, 10-year. Um, I've seen it on the shelf for a while, and uh, a couple weeks ago I was like, you know what, I'm going to treat myself, and it's not a decision I regret.
0: The 10-year, that is brilliant. You're busting out the good stuff for us tonight.
1: I am, you know, I, I figured uh, I, I felt kind of special being a part of this, and, you know, I, I wanted a, a special drink to sip on.
0: Hey, a what day. a cool thing to celebrate, I love it. I I, uh, ran out of bourbon last night. We visited, or uh, last weekend, we visited friends in uh, Gunnison, Colorado. Ben and Angela and Chance Wagner, and we went through a whole bottle of, of bourbon last weekend. So I am on a vodka train now, making a Moscow Mule. So it'll have to do. There you go. Today, yeah. Cool. Um, For those of you who don't know Brock, I'm going to let him kind of introduce himself, but I'll uh, tell you kind of how we met. Uh, There's a beautiful place in the world in northeastern Wisconsin called Wildman Adventure Resort. That is where you and I met, um, what was that, three or four years ago at this point?
1: Yeah, this would be, uh, I I guess, the fourth summer since we, we had that first year together, yeah.
0: That is crazy. Time flies. Wildman uh, Wildman Adventure Resort is a multi-sport resort. You'll hear us talk a lot about it on this podcast because that's where a lot of uh, my personal um, experience in the outdoor industry is, as well as a lot of the guests that I'll bring on just because we meet a lot of cool, eclectic people from that job. But, uh, Brock, tell us about yourself, where you're from, how you got into the outdoor industry, um, how we met, and just, you know, some basics.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I'm from Southwest Michigan area. Uh Grew up around there, and you know, when when I was getting to junior in high school or whatnot, I went up to Northern Michigan University, thinking I'd go there for a couple of years and then transfer to a, a bigger school or something. And uh, ended up just falling in love with the UP, uh, gorgeous land and area up there, and ended up staying for you know a number of years longer than I intended to. And uh, I think that's uh, a large part of what brought me kind of drew me toward the outdoor industry is getting to spend the, the kind of time I did in the outdoors, um, while I was in the UP up there. So I guess that, uh, that'll be something that we can dive into later on. Um, and were you, um, uh, asking as to how I got into the outdoor industry? Um, yeah. Like
0: what, uh, yeah. you know, I feel like that's a very common question we get as a guide is how did you, how did you find this? Like, how did you get into this?
1: Yeah. Um, well, initially, when I went up to school, uh, I didn't think I was going to be doing anything like I'm doing right now um, or like I like I have done in the industry. I initially went for uh, a business degree in supply chain management. Uh, my my goal and dream was to uh, become a supply chain manager, you know, get supplies from point A to B to C. And I wanted to work for a Fortune 500 company. Wow. Um, that was my, my 10 year plan. And uh boy am I far away from that. <laughs> but, uh, so I my I guess initial introduction really to seasonal work um itself was uh when I had a buddy from high school, Tanner, he was working at Wildman Adventure Resort and he called me out of the blue one day and I was like, This is odd, like I haven't heard from Tanner in a year. Um so I, I picked up and I was like, What's up, buddy? And he said uh that he was working at some adventure thing, like only two hours from me and that he didn't realize we were so close. And he was like, you should come visit sometime, dude. And I was like, all right, like, heck yeah, sounds like a good time. And uh, I ended up driving out, like, I think that Friday or Saturday. And uh, I get there, and he tosses me a PFD and a helmet. He's like, all right, buddy, if you fall out, keep your feet up. I was like, what are we doing? He's like, "Rafting." I was like, okay, cool. And uh, ended up spending, I think, like six hours just lapping the river that day. And uh, afterwards, like, man, I was whooped. Like, I didn't paddle like that in my life. Um and you know I was whooped I was like all right we're probably gonna get back and everyone's gonna go to bed and take it easy and we get back and the, the whole crew is just more lively than they were before and, um I I don't know how to explain the air that was there like my first ever visit to uh the adventure resort but um there's just you know a bunch of young college kids and everybody's out there as a summer gig and uh after that first day like I was like man how do I get in on this? And the next year I, I threw in an application and called up the office and I think I kept kind of like poking them in the side. Uh, I think you were actually the, the gentleman that did, you were calling me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, Hey, my name is Brock. I'm I'm not an awful person. You should, you should look at my resume and just kept poking. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, about that time, uh, actually I I suppose a couple months before is when I completely switched my major. I kind of, dropped everything in the business world. I was, I was sitting there and I was, I was thinking about it. And well, it's not like a overnight shift that happened either. I just, uh, was slowly losing interest. You know, my classes, like I wasn't engaged. I, I wasn't having a good time. And I was trying to sit there and think like, is this what I want to do with my life? And I ended up going to my, my counselor, um, my third semester in school. And I was really scared and nervous at this point you know i'm three semesters in and admittedly at that point a lot of it's kind of general studies and this and that so like credits that can transfer but i sat down with my counselor and she's like hey like what brings you in today and i was like i'm super unhappy i hate my major uh i want nothing to do with it uh my tenure plan it's shot like i you know i'd rather drop out of school than graduate in supply chain management she's like wow all right well um she started asking me questions about what I'm interested in and what I've been spending my time doing. And at that time I was currently, uh, actually learning how to surf and, uh, helping teach, you know, I was like a few weeks into learning how to surf and then also helping teach another buddy that was just getting into it. And was explaining that, like, are you enjoying that? And I was like, what's not to enjoy? I love it. Like I, I found this thing that I'm super into and, uh, I'm helping share it. And she's like, all right, well, before we completely lose you here, I'm going to put you in this class and this class next year or next semester. And I was like, all right, like, what are those? And she said, uh, it's adventure activities and group facilitation and intro to recreation. And I was like, that's not silly, but all right, whatever. Like, you know, I'll go camp out for the weekend and, uh, ended up just absolutely falling in love with the, the ideas and the, the theories that they were introducing me to in those classes. And I think it only took me like three weeks in those two classes to go see my counselor and be like hey this is my major this is Um, it yeah yeah so um sorry if i bounced around a lot there but kind of uh it all just kind of fell into itself uh as well as also me looking at my current situation and defining like even though i felt like it was already too late i was like i'm not happy what can i do about this and um i pretty much just said it straight like that like i'm not happy what can i do about this and bound myself on this constantly evolving road now that's
0: that's so powerful because it's one it's vulnerable in the way that you're saying hey maybe i didn't nail this one on the head which is hard to do right uh and then two taking a drastic change where you tell this person who's advising you what to do you're telling them i would rather drop out Than to have a job in supply chain management, which at one point was your dream. Um, what, I mean, that's following a passion, right? And do you feel like, do you feel like you could have lived a happy life if you had followed that dream? Or do you feel like you would have been, um, you know, sacrificing your character and your values to keep pursuing something that you didn't really feel that attachment to?
1: Um, that's a that's a very loaded question uh, <laughs> I I believe that I would have still found happiness had I followed that plan however I I don't think it would be as genuine um, so if you say you asked me 10 if we knew each other 10 years ago uh, if you asked me like hey Brock what's your biggest fear I would tell you not being successful right uh, if you ask me today hey Brock what's your biggest fear I would tell you not being successful. Um, uh, but the big thing that's changed within those 10 years is my definition of success. Um, it went from being a high schooler, looking up at the, you know, the, the typical, like you go to college, you get a good yeah. job, you sit at a desk and then you have a 401k and you retire happy. Um, it changed from, you know, my definition of success being making a lot of money to being happy. Uh, right. that's my new definition of success is can I sit down at the end of the day and have my needs fulfilled? Like, you know, I've, we're humans. You have needs like, you know, food, shelter, water. Um, but can I be happy? And, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't started my 401k, but like I'm 24 <laughs> years old. Uh, I got some time to figure that one out. Uh, um,
0: absolutely.
1: And so, like, I think that that kind of mindset has, uh, really shifted, at least in my personal life. Uh, after a while, so it's kind of how I found myself uh, reevaluating my my goals and exactly what I wanted to do with my career.
0: So cool, man! It, these conversations are so fun because I'm I'm learning stuff about a guy who's one of my best friends in the world. So, uh, thank you for being so uh, open to sharing. That's awesome. Uh, we could we could talk about this for a long time. I feel like. Um, I do want to move into some more uh, concentrated things. Um, I definitely want to touch on you know, what you're doing now. Uh, you did make kind of a conversion from like the dirtbag guide lifestyle to doing something that um, you found a lot of impact in, and we'll get to that. But we have a great story together. And like you said earlier in our little chat before this, the art of storytelling is powerful. Um, so I'd love to tell the tale. I feel like every tale has a good name this one's called the strainer survivor story. Um, <laughs> I think we're both familiar with, with such a tale. Um, and we have very different, uh, accounts of it because of our perspectives of the story. Um, so do you want to tell, uh, you'll start the story off and then I'll kind of fill in like what was going through my head here as we go and kind of play off each other for the next couple minutes and, uh, tell a, a fun story to the people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as I remember, um, we're a month or two into summer and uh, we had had a good amount of rain that week. Yes. Yourself or myself, you and our other friend Mason um, had heard of the sturgeon, another river in the area that was running and how at typical summer flows at that time of year, it's not running. We're like, well, like that sounds great. Like, let's give it a go. Cause at this point, my experience in whitewater was limited to, uh, the two rivers that we guided on and mm-hmm. like one whitewater trip in Tennessee. And I think I was in high school, like maybe a freshman or sophomore. So All I was right. like, I felt like I'd, I'd love to see a new river and run it like with like some of my best buds, like what's not to love. And, um, the, the kind of, I guess beta we had heard on it was word of mouth from a, another guy that we worked with who said, uh, as I recall, like I, I could have my facts. Twisted, because this is two years ago now. Yeah. That's um, yeah, uh, about two miles of fun, easy-going, read-and-run class two. And yeah. us being, you know, decent enough paddlers and raft guides, trusting each other's skills and um, safety, we were like, all right, awesome, let's do it. And I think we went after work. Like, we, we must have had a river trip or something that day, because mm-hmm. we were losing weight by the time we were pumping up our boats. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was close out- enough,
0: though, where we could make that drive after our trips and the sunlight is you know till 10 o'clock so we felt like i don't know I, I felt like we had enough time to properly at least get down the river
1: <laughs> oh yeah absolutely yeah. and i think that's uh you know mistake number one is when <laughs> we're looking at it and we walked up to the side of the river and we saw one of the rapids and we looked at it and we're saying we were looking at it we're like okay stay out of that one spot but it's two miles of easy going, read and run class two if that hole looks ugly, that's probably the only spot on the river, right? Like we don't really want to spend two hours hiking all the way up and checking it out. It's, it's fine. Um, I
0: think we should put into perspective what that one hole looked like. I mean, this was this used to be a low head dam that they had blown out, and it looked beefy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, that was. Uh, I think the believe it or not, maybe one of the first times in my life that I heard the term boil line. Um, yeah. Mason or. or buddy mason saying oh my goodness look at that boil line boys all right so we're pulling out before that one right <laughs> yeah like cool I, I see it i get it now um and so nonetheless we kind of failed to walk up and down the river more figured read and run if something looks ugly we'll pull over scout it out from the side of the river like you know like responsible paddlers um and so we, we drive back up to the put-in and get ourselves on the river. Uh, is there anything different that you remember so far?
0: No, you're killing it. I mean, uh, we the people that had ran it before us had done it at about five times less cubic feet per second, which is what they measure water speed in, uh, than we were doing it that day. So they did it at like 400 cubic feet per second, and it was 1,600 cubic feet per second uh, the day that we did it. So, I mean, dramatically different circumstances uh but brock i mean you're so right in the fact that we we really thought that we could just go read and run this thing
1: yeah you know like you you see some rapids coming up like should be able to just pull over and check it out but you know it's a read and run river that just means just go for it right right Um, yeah anyways we we fast forward we're on the river um going through these like awesome kind of glades so to speak is that what you call them uh
0: yeah, I mean, there was like beavers running around, tall grass, really nice, scenic, kind of shallow floating for the first, I don't know, mile almost.
1: Yeah, yeah. I remember like the first 10 minutes is almost hard to tell which way the river was flowing because we were just, yeah. <laughs> right. uh, and we were paddling for a bit. Water's getting a little chattery, and uh, I believe Mason was running up front. We had yourself in the center and myself, and then me in the rear, and, uh, we, we start hearing the water getting louder, and it's like, all right, sweet. Like, here we go. This is going to be sweet. Um, and you hear Mason up front go, yo, go left. And uh, I heard him, but you echoed it back. You're like, bro go. Or no, it was go right. It was, yo, go right. And then you echoed it back, and I was like, all right, go right for sure. like
0: This is know. after you had asked us very nicely if we could pull over and scout the river. You're like, hey, guys, this seems bigger than we thought let's pull over and look at this. And I think like some important context is like Mason is as balls to the wall as you can get. So he's like, we're going to be fine. And uh, I generally trusted Mason's thoughts on that. And I was like, we'll be fine. And you're like, okay, you know, like I guess we're going to go for this without looking at it.
1: Yeah. Um, And you're like, I, I trust Mason's instinct as well. And um, but like, yeah, I would definitely put that decision on all three of us together like when you're paddling oh, for you sure you trust the person in front of you and behind you just say hey we need to stop right. um and i think we're all just too excited to really have that moment of clarity where it's like all right like yes this is going to be awesome but we should try to make it more awesome by like reducing the potential for suck right, right. Uh, and that's something that we we failed to do a little bit totally. so uh, i hear you guys yelling go right and i'm looking up and like, I don't really see anything. And, oh, okay. Yeah, there, there's a little curler there. Like, okay, boys, I'll go right of that. And uh, <laughs> go back and watch the GoPro footage. I'm looking at it. And so I go right of this little curler by like a foot or something. And once I get around that, I'm looking square into like this enormous hydraulic. And you just hear, like, uh, and in the GoPro footage, me just go, oh, fuck. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry for the language there, but it wasn't really like a scared or, um, like freaking out. Of Uh, it was simply like defeated. I looked at it and I was like, I'm going to be swimming. I have no idea what this is about to look like. Um, and sure enough, I, I tried to dig through it, but, uh, I was in an outlaw, so an inflatable kayak. And, uh, it just didn't have the punch I needed. Uh, I tried to dig through it and it just stopped me dead in my tracks and, uh, tipped me out sideways. And my first thought, as I'm going into the water, I don't even think my head had submerged yet. Is did he say two miles? Uh, <laughs> after seeing the size of the pool, I was like, he said two miles, didn't he? Um, and I, I pop up and I'm looking to my sides and like, all right, where's an eddy? And it's at this point that I realize, um, the Sturgeon River Canyon is actually a canyon. Right. Uh, like we got, and the- we're in the
0: Midwest, like there's you don't oftentimes find canyons in the large part of the Midwest. I guess like northern Wisconsin, the UP is kind of a little bit different, but yeah, you're not expecting a canyon canyon.
1: Yeah, um, so I'm looking around. I'm like, all right, I don't see any eddies yet. Um, I, I had I had the boat and I had my paddle. And at this point, I'm essentially scouting the river from the water. Um, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't exactly define as ideal, um, but like I, I know how to defensive swim. And uh, I think one of the biggest points in that uh kind of situation too is the ability to remain calm um if you panic like you're just you're gonna get nowhere uh you're gonna make unwise decisions you may not even know the decisions that you're making if you're fully panicked so i i take deep breaths i keep my feet up and uh essentially it's getting pretty steep and the water is getting kind of large so i can only scout the river one wave at a time and that's when i'm at the top of the wave right before it uh so right. I, I'd go up wave and be like, okay, like got a hydraulic coming up and get close to it and kind of pencil punch myself through it. Cause I have no idea. Like if this river has keeper holes on it, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know the depth of it. Like I, I kind of tried to stick my paddle down, but the current was taking it away. It's moving pretty fast at this point. Um, and I, I think I make it like probably wasn't too long a swim. Realistically, it felt long, but it was maybe a quarter mile. And I see a little eddy. I'm like, awesome. I, I swim over. And uh get the boat in and the boat's upside down. I try to flip it, it doesn't flip. I try to flip it again, it doesn't flip. And I feel the the current starting to drag me out again. So I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of being in the water, I'm climbing on the bottom of this thing. And I did that and I, I pulled it off. Um but that current that was pulling me away then pushed me up against the canyon wall again. And uh I I went in and I was like, All right, here here we go again, round two. It's like <laughs> I, I just what a terrible to- feeling. Yeah, uh, I had that brief moment where I was like, thank God that's over. Like I, I had no idea what was coming after each wave. Um, and I think the second time around, the waves are progressively getting larger. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to scout and there's one particularly large part of the wave train where I'm at the top of it. And this is probably another quarter mile down from that eddy, um, by now. And there's one particularly large wave in the wave train where. I can see down like maybe the next two or three waves. And I believe like that third one, I see this massive beaver dam on the left side of the river. Uh, and from how it looks to me in the water getting splashed and, you know, just trying to control my breathing. Uh, it looks like beaver dam is going down into river left and I'm looking at it. And, uh, I was like, wow, there is no way over that. Uh, never had to swim over a real strainer before but if i had to judge in the split second i have the decision to go over or around and um i just make that call cuz you know don't really have time to weigh out every possibility you see two decisions you pick one and you go with it and you go with it with all of your heart right uh, i was like there's no way over i'm going around so at this point i'm like screw this boat screw this paddle i'm swimming and i immediately i, I point up river river right um and i just start digging to try to get to the right and uh, i make it like three or four strokes and i turn around to see how far i am from the log in case i have to uh you know go over it or kind of go from there or see if i'm actually around it by this point point. Mm-hmm. and at, i make those three or four strokes and i turn around and at that moment the logs at my face and just whops mm. me in the, of the head um, oh my god and i was mildly dazed um I may say so myself. And I feel myself just get whipped right under it so fast. Like it happened like that. Um, and I had always respected trainers before, but at this moment I realized like the power of it. Or, Like if, if I had made any different decision, I don't think it'd to it would have happened at that point. Uh, you know, just took a log to the side of faith. As I was under I was like, boy, I hope there aren't any branches down here. <laughs>
0: okay so you're, you're going under and you're like praying there's no sticks underneath of this log because that's what we call a strainer right like you go underneath this thing and you get strained out like a colander full of pasta
1: yeah exactly um and as i'm like going underneath that i'm like boy i sure hope this isn't anything like the strainers that they warned us about right <laughs> um And sure enough, like I I do a couple somersaults under the water because still moving fast, and I got hit on the head. Pretty good at this point. Um, I actually uh, still have a chip in my helmet from that one, um, right (laughs) in the back of the carbon fiber. And uh, do a couple somersaults and pop back up, and I still don't see an eddy. I've just been looking for an eddy this whole time. At this point, I don't have the boat. I don't know where it is. I don't have the paddle. I don't know where that is. Uh, But I'm happy because I'm I'm on the surface and that strainer didn't just kill me um so i'm i'm again back to okay i need to find an eddie and uh i need to watch out for more logs because that really uh that was what we call the no fun zone like i i stopped having a good time right there up until then honestly like i can't say i was having a bad time like yeah i was swimming from the very first wave in the rapid (laughs) um but like i still enjoyed it because it was exciting like i knew how to like keep myself calm and like still kind of situation and be like, okay, like I should get to this side of that wave or um, I should try to like pencil through this next one. Cause it looks a little sticky. Um, and sure enough, I, I go over a few more waves and I see this one spot and I was like, that looks awfully familiar, but I've never been on this river before. And I realized I'm looking at the spot that leads into the nasty boil line that we were talking about that we did not want to go through with our boats. And I was like, right. oh, I have to now. Uh, so I swam to the edge of the river. Uh, not something I was super excited to do, being a canyon. Like, I don't know what the rocks are like. I don't know if there's undercuts. Um, but I find a spot where I wouldn't entirely call it an eddy. Um, but it had a really low current. And I just grabbed onto the side of the rock um, and pulled myself up just enough to, like, put my booty on it. Like, I like did a little pull up. We should
0: preface like, what a booty it. is. Otherwise, if people who aren't familiar with the term might be confused that you're putting your butt on rocks.
1: Oh, uh, well, yes, I was wearing booties, like neoprene <laughs> shoes, uh, but I actually put my butt on the rock. Oh, uh,
0: well, hey, yeah, I'm like, glad we cleared that I up.
1: up. And I, I, like, mantled a little bit, which is where, like, you place your palms flat down and almost do, like, a push-up, and then yeah. I did a 180 and slap my butt on it so that I could just sit down and be like, okay, I'm mostly out of the river at this point. <laughs> right. And uh then mason comes down behind me i didn't know that he was trailing me after uh i fell back in uh mason comes down and he's like dude are you all right i'm like yeah yeah i'm good uh kind of just like breathing and like soaking it all in and uh he's there now and we realized that we're at that point where we wanted to take out our boats before and we can't run anymore uh he looks at me he's like where's dan i was like i don't know buddy i just swam that whole thing <laughs> um, <laughs> So, like, we start like trying to look up where's he at, where's he at, and we're getting pretty concerned at this point, because, uh like, I could have just gotten extremely lucky and maybe hit the one spot of that strainer that didn't have branches or anything underneath the water, Um and we're starting to, like, get a little concerned, and we hear a whistle blowing, like, crap, and we're like, is he blowing because he doesn't know where we are, or is he blowing because he needs help? So, we're starting to look for ways to get up this... This rock face essentially, because we're still in the canyon. Uh, and there's just this sheer wet, like rock face. There's no holds or anything to try to climb up on. So I'm just standing there on the edge of the river, uh, listening to this whistle blow upstream. I don't know what's going on. I know I can't get there. Uh so we just started yelling, like, Dan, Dan, we're good. Um, because we didn't want to blow our whistle and make you think we're also in trouble we're kind of like starting to like second guess ourselves and our own training and knowledge at this point right. um so we just started yelling as loud as we could and uh we heard the whistleblowing stop we're like i think that's a good thing and then sure enough like a couple minutes later dan comes running up the shore and he looks down over the edge He's like what's up boys <laughs> <laughs> and to get off that little rock we were hanging out on you actually ended up setting up, uh, or you threw us a little rope down. I believe you were the only anchor to that rope. You threw it around your waist, and you planted that butt down nice and firm, and uh, we, we climbed up it. So it was... Sick boy back then. <laughs> Suitable for an anchor. Um, that's about what I remember of it. I don't know if there's any of the critical details that I kind of chose to forget, because it was my first ever real experience... In whitewater, where I was like, "Wow, this is going to go very poorly,"
0: right? Your um, recollection is super brilliant. I mean, it, it's very accurate, and it's crazy because I've had some swims in whitewater where I don't remember a thing. So yeah. the fact that you remember all that is pretty impressive. Now, all of that's happening while at the same time, Mason and I have no idea you're in the water until the point where you're climbing on the boat upside down. And what had happened to us is we just kept going. <laughs> Because it was way bigger than we expected to be. I mean, it was dramatically larger whitewater. Would you agree?
1: Oh yeah. Um, that's like I said. My first thought when I when I fell in the water was, uh, oh, did he say two miles? Because um, I saw the size right. of that hole, and I was thinking about it. I was like, I can't do two miles of this. Like that just and obviously, like you know, there's always like the little spots where there aren't current or what you would call an eddy on the side of a river um where you can get to, but like I have no idea what I'm about to be looking at here. Um and yeah, I was I was kind of still just in awe. Like I don't think I'd fully processed it yet, but like I knew that this is not what I was expecting.
0: Right. Right. And so Mason and I are still going and um Mason hits a hydraulic and it turns his inflatable kayak sideways. I'm in my hard shell kayak and I'm trying not to like run it straight into him over this rock. And so I end up upside down. He ends up out of his boat. And when I roll my boat back over, I was actually facing upstream. And that's when you and I first made eye contact. And I was like, oh, <laughs> man, Brock's been in the water for a while. And that's when I saw the whole drama of you getting on the boat and then flipping back over up on that rock. And then Mason ends up flipping his boat over, and he is actually able to paddle it again. And you guys go downriver. So I eddied out, you're right, above you guys, thinking to myself, someone's got to get on shore quick in case something is bad down shore. And this was the scariest moment for me was I, you know, I pop out of my boat and I'm running I'm screaming. Uh, I have no idea. I mean, it's a Canyon for sure. Like you're, it's hard to get through. And I come to the top of this big rock and all I can see is Brock's raft, his kayak bent around that beaver dam, like a soft shell taco. And <laughs> I will never forget that moment. I, my heart sank, because I thought to myself, my friend is attached to that. You know, like he's in that situation right now, and you better go get him quick, buddy. Otherwise, we're gonna lose him. And that's why I was frantically blowing that whistle. And, you know, thank God that that wasn't the case because you guys did connect with me before, uh, before too long at that point. Uh, and everybody walked away from that one healthy. But I feel like anybody hearing that story is like, you guys made a ton of mistakes. Leading up to that, and we're supposed to be well versed in these different, uh, especially in whitewater, right? Um, so, I mean, out of that, out of that experience, what would you say? Like, what'd you leave with that day that made you think, "I'm never going to blank again," or like, "Hey, I'm gonna t- never take this for granted."
1: Oh yeah, well, uh, like you said, like you know, we as whitewater guides at the time have the responsibility of. Uh, do- safely and making smart decisions and i believe that we were perfectly capable and knowledgeable enough of that on the rivers that we ran um but the biggest thing i took away is never in my life have i felt like i was invincible uh, but in that moment that was the big slap of reality saying like, hey like you're not invincible you know it don't act like it um, right you no know, the the proper or the proper preparations uh will get you really far just being able to look at what you're about to go through um i mean white water will always look bigger when you're teeing up to a wave than it does on shore but at least going up that shoreline and being able to look at it and have an idea of what you're gonna be, be able to work with because um, that's another thing too is when i first went in the water is uh, i was like i don't even know what the shoreline looks like um, right like if somebody else is in the water say i get out like where do I go? Where, where right. can I set up? Where can I throw a bag from? What can I attach it to? Uh, I knew none of those things. Uh, and obviously, like this entire story is riddled with mistakes left and right. Um, but it's an experience I'm really happy that we had because we came out of it safe. And it was an enormous slap in the face of saying like, hey, like it was humbling. You know, uh, I, I remember hearing it my first year guiding and uh it's stuck with me ever since and it's uh if you don't come into a situation humble the situation will humble you right and i think that's exactly what happened is we were overconfident we had heard yeah fun easy going read and run just go for it mm-hmm. uh and we we kind of took that and ran uh and we're we're lucky that we uh we walked out of there
0: yeah nature is the great equalizer
1: oh yeah absolutely
0: cool so since that incident, Brock, we've obviously gotten older and wiser, and you've uh, kind of shifted your focus from being a, a, just a guide into kind of a new field. Um, you kind of referred to these years, these last you know three to four or five years, as your formative years of your life. Uh, kind of tell us a little bit about your transition into uh, something that you didn't expect, that you'd love as much as you did, and uh, kind of you know how your heart, how your heart has kind of gotten tangled up in that pursuit.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So um, during my, my couple years at Wildman, I began to realize and recognize that there is uh, actually viability to seasonal work. Like you can actually work four different jobs a year and bounce around. If, as long as you're willing to not stay stationary, um, you can go out and find these amazing jobs. And as I was coming up through the recreation major, I wasn't always entirely positive what I wanted to do with it. Um, however, I did know, um, how much like recreation had brought some to myself in my life, the, the level of like self-actualization, um, and inspiration and motivation I got from just realizing like my, my personal potential in the outdoors and, um, the, the outright like mental and physical benefits of getting to do activities like whitewater, biking, climbing, things like that. Um, Uh I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do with this uh, outdoor recreation leadership and management major. All I want, all I knew is I want to make an impact. Uh, I don't believe I'm going to change the world, but maybe I can change one life. You know, maybe, maybe that one life will turn around. Like, I don't know, like maybe you introduce somebody to a that they had never even heard of or always tell themselves, Oh, I'm way too unfortunate for that. Uh, I'm, Oh, I'm way too like unfit for that. Maybe I can introduce just the right person to this work that gets them outside, gets them motivated and realizes like, hey, like, I can tell myself I can't do something all I want, but until I actually do it and try it, I'll never know. So if you continually tell yourself you can't do something, you'll just never do it. Um so with that I kind of went in an experiential education direction and um my partner, uh, or fiance now. Ooh, uh, big time. Um, so we live in an RV, uh, and this actually happened uh, right after my last summer at Wildman. We mm-hmm. uh, bought a fifth wheel camper, renovated it, and decided like we want to kind of bebop around the country until we find our place. Um, cause Southwest Michigan will always be my home, but it's not my place. You know, I I don't yeah. uh, I don't feel connected to the land apart from uh, kind of like a, a memory's sake, so to like speak. Like a rooted, you know, like a, a homey. Yeah like, yeah, like, these are my roots. This is my home. But, like, I, I can't see myself being here forever. Um, and so I guess fast forward a year. We won't have to fast forward that much. Uh, after renovating the camper, we didn't know what we were going to do, but we wanted to be warm. Uh, so it was the beginning of January um, 2019. So just a year and a half ago now, a little more than that. Uh, and we just dragged it down to Texas, uh, Galveston Island, pretty sweet place. Um, wasn't what I was expecting when I thought Texas. Like there were palm trees. Uh, yeah. And it was like, an island and like this whole like seawall boulevard. Uh, but we found ourselves in a little RV park and picked up a couple quick serving jobs just because we wanted to be beach bums for the winter. Uh, I had just been through five Upper Peninsula winters, and uh, I had had enough snow and cold for, uh, for at least that winter. Um, and then from there, we went back to the UP. Uh, once the, the kind of, I'd, I'd say the ice broke on Lake Superior, we went up We we sea kayak guided for uh, a summer up there at Pictured Rocks uh, National Lakeshore. Gorgeous time. Absolutely loved it. Um, and also from there, I, I believe I developed a lot more of my soft skills in experiential teaching and guiding because um, in whitewater like it's great you have that excitement you have an obvious um point of attention however being in a group of people with sea kayaks like, you know you are uh adopting that entertainer role so much right uh, and i really learned how to i, I don't want to say force myself to be outgoing but to just talk to people um mm-hmm. uh, and the coming fall is when we decided to take on, I believe, one of our largest challenges yet. Um, we were offered positions as teacher naturalists at uh, an outdoor school in Pennsylvania. And uh, I was looking at it. I was like, you know, that sounds super rewarding. But uh, and like kids are great and all, but I've never worked with kids before. Uh, these are fifth. This will eat me alive. I was like, I don't think I can handle it um however kind of like um both chelsea and i were excited about the idea of it but i think also intimidated because like you know we had never done anything like that so we just really put ourselves excuse me uh we had really put ourselves out there and decided to kind of take this step and work at an outdoor school um exactly what they'll be teaching yet or want us to uh kind of portray to the the students. Uh I'm not sure yet, but uh we'll get out there and uh kind of a, a fake it so you make it kind of deal. Like we both know that we know our stuff. She studied biology. I studied uh recreation, which included a lot of group facilitation, uh experiential education, uh, adventure activities, things like that. So like we know we have the skills, but like do we have the grit that it takes to work with kids? And uh I'll say it ended up being one of the most positive experiences of my life. Um, it was a, a beautiful area is more urban than, uh, what we were accustomed to after being in the UP for a while. Um, we were about 30 minutes outside of Philadelphia and, uh, a lot of the kids coming to us were these schools that are right in the heart of Philly. Um, and it really kind of opened my eyes. Like some of these kids just don't go outside anymore. Um, and largely that's, uh, some schools are cutting recess. Some schools can't afford PE anymore. Um, it's all just learning. They can't learning. afford
0: PE anymore, man. That's, I mean, you know, I grew up in a like one of the top fifty schools in Illinois. I mean, I couldn't have been more privileged in in having that resource. I mean, we had a multi million dollar sports facility built while I was there for high school sports. I mean, um, explain to me how that felt to see these people, these kids who don't have the opportunity to even get outside to recreate at school.
1: It, I still can't exactly explain how it makes me feel. Obviously I feel very negatively about it. Um, uh, Like a lot of these schools funding is solely based on test scores. That's all these schools can afford to focus on is like, Hey, like how good can you do on the standardized tests? Cause like we really need this. Um, and so you get some of these schools out there and don't get me wrong. That's, that's not every school. Uh, we, we would get charter schools, which are essentially like kind of privatized for profit schools. Um, mm. and there's, there's ups and downs to that. I, I won't speak illly of it. Um, but like those schools would come out and like, you know, we'd have just as positive of the experience as some of the schools that. We're having their their funding cut or having to like stop giving a recess. Uh, and my first like reaction or I guess like realization is some of these kids come out there and they believe that we are in the middle of the wilderness. Right. Uh, and we're we're in uh, you know a suburb of Philadelphia. Uh, admittedly, it was a really nice plot of land they had. They had about 250 acres that were set aside for uh, preservation as like a conservation wow. easement and um so it was really cool but it was also developed like you know there were some cabins on it for like their summer camp that they do and that these kids come out in the middle of the wilderness they'll hop off the bus and first questions are Are there wolves? are the bears gonna get us and it's like nobody like you might see some some deer if we're really lucky you'll see some foxes right. um but it had just really amazed me at like you know the the lack of natural open spaces that um some some children are growing up in these days as well as um I do believe that uh there's like a magnified parental fear through media, whether that's the news or Facebook or this and that, of nature and just letting uh people's kids go outside and play. Like when I was a kid, like it was like, yeah, like we'll see it when the street lights come on. Um but now like you know you hear the the horror stories of You know, whatever it may be, I don't want to go into details on on Facebook or Twitter, like whatever your platform is. And, uh, I think parents are growing more and more afraid of like the world around them. And that's resulting a lot in, uh, what kids are able to experience. Um, right. So, uh, I guess, sorry, I'm rambling a bit here, but, uh, there's just no, it's cool, cool, man. Cool. Um, we ended up, we, we did, my favorite lesson was uh, going to the organic farm. They had, I, I may be wrong here, but I want to say like a 50-acre organic farm there. Wow. And uh, never in my life have I seen, is it 15? Um, maybe it wasn't 50 acres. I I'm, i don't know what an acre is, Dan. I'm not going to lie to you.
0: Uh, <laughs> Thanks for being chosen, buddy.
1: Yeah. It um, was a large
0: plot of land.
1: Yeah, and... Uh, and never in my life did I imagine I would see fifth and sixth grade kids get excited about eating raw broccoli. Or I'd be like, "Hey guys, like we're gonna go eat some broccoli out of the ground," and like they'd cheer. And I was like, "Wow!" Oh, like I kind of said that as a joke, but like we'll go find some broccoli. And um, watching kids just get excited about vegetables, because like you know they they had never seen how they grow. Um, right. And uh, there are some other people like uh, Chelsea. She she really took a liking to the water lessons. Uh, teaching kids like we had a natural wetland area out there and she'd take them out to that and kind of explain how like this is like a natural filter for that subdivision over there or um, exactly why we should protect our watersheds and as teacher naturalists we always try to tie each lesson into one another so while chelsea was talking about watersheds um, if i would get her group to come over to the farm i'd be talking about why it's organic Um, and like what does organic mean a lot of kids don't know that.
0: What uh, does organic? I,
1: I hardly, I hardly knew that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, essentially, it just means like no man-made uh, pesticides or chemicals um, are put into the the land. Um, and one of the most common answers, I would usually start my my lesson off with. Um, so I'm just going to throw some big words out there. Uh, I'm going to kind of break them down from there, and we'll move on and get to kind like, of eat some things and check it out as we go. And uh, the biggest answer I always got to what does organic mean is that it's healthier for you. And that's not exactly the case. Um, essentially it's healthier for the earth. Um, mm-hmm. You're not pumping the soil full of these pesticides and everything. And um, so that in turn I would tie into watershed lesson um, and this and that. And I lost my train of thought again, <laughs> but um, yeah, anyways, I just, I thought, I guess initially going out to outdoor school, that I would be eaten alive by these kids. I would be overwhelmed. I don't know how to work with kids. I don't know what I'm doing. And I ended up really finding something that I fell in love with and want to continually go back to.
0: That is so cool. Yeah, that is so cool. Um, What what was, I guess, the most unexpected um, challenge that you came up against as you were... Doing something new, doing something out of your comfort zone, which I know is something that you like to talk about. Um, what challenged you in those moments, and I guess where did you find um, where did you find it down in you to continue pushing to to find your passion in this?
1: Ah, um, in, in that specific experience. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. Because I, I feel like that's the most outside of your comfort zone. Like I saw you guide trips; you were killer. Uh, but it, there's a, like you said, there's a different story between guiding, a you know, 10 guys in a 16 foot raft down class 4 whitewater than there is teaching kids about organic broccoli. Like that's a unique challenge.
1: Yeah. Um, I think the most challenging time I had, um, was with a, actually like I, I can think of one group that came through. Um, it was, uh, one of our, our leaders, like personal projects, like for like a year trying to get this school to come out to outdoor school. Um, and they were from like the heart of Philadelphia. Um, and just like horribly underfunded, like this is one of the schools that I talked about that, like it broke my heart to see like, these kids don't get recess anymore. Like they don't go outside. They don't have PE. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like, uh, his like goal, like he, he had worked so much with the school, getting them here. They almost didn't meet, like they almost didn't get enough kids to come. Um, cause it's hard to shut down our entire outdoor school if we have like five students there. Um, but they, I think they got it up to like 15 or something and we were eventually like, you know what, like, screw it, come out, get these kids here. Um, like they And the outdoor school is, it's a nonprofit. So, um, like the school, like the, the outdoor school essentially told the school, like, Hey, like, don't worry about like anybody paying like fees or this or that, like the kids wow. will come here we will get three meals a day for all three days that you're here. Like, we just want you to get here. And uh the school, like, I think was incredibly inspirational and incredibly challenging for me at the same time. Because, like, this is, was essentially what I was looking for when I was like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life or my career in the outdoor industry, but I want to make an impact. Right. And uh, I think this was, like, admittedly, it was only, like, two and a half, three days I got with these kids. Uh, But I think it was like so far my closest shot to getting to make an impact. Um, I taught a fifth grade kid how to shoot a basketball. It's like, he was looking at the basketball court and he was just sitting there, their their first day. Usually when they're there for like the first 30 minutes, we tell them, hey, just go out to the play courts, do whatever you want, mess around, like burn off some energy. And then we'll talk about camp expectations, what we're gonna be doing here. We'll get you settled into your cabins. Uh, And he's just sitting there like solemnly looking at the basketball court. like, what's up, buddy? He was like, I'm thinking about basketball. I was like, Well, what you thinking about? He was like, Well, I I've always wanted to play. I was like, Have you ever gotten to shoot a basketball? He goes, No. And I was like, Wow. Fifth grade, yeah. Um, and it just like really amazed me. Like, uh, he like he had always wanted to try it, and there was this court in front of him, and he was just kind of like sitting there looking at it because he didn't know what to do. And I was like, well, Let's get out here, and like we we started up a just a weird little passing bouncing game and trying to shoot it into the hoop. And, um, like just the smiles on some of those kids' faces. And that one in particular, I think like really made me like, think like, wow, this is like, it, I don't have words for it. Like, you know, like to, to get to introduce something like that, that's so simple. Like you, you don't really think of it. Like I personally, I don't like basketball. I've, I've never cared for <laughs> it like this here's this kid like always grown up always wanted to try basketball but like never had an opportunity and uh, it's just the little things like that that really made my day but yeah um on the other hand uh like it was the small rewards like that here and there um this group had a very difficult time being outside getting along with each other um trying to stay focused um and i think just because like in school they don't get that time to burn off their energy and here they come out here we're like yeah like let's play let's have a blast and then hey we're gonna pull you aside and let's talk about like you know forest forestry succession for an hour real quick and they're they're just so like kind of pent up and all that that uh it really kind of tested everyone's patience and um everyone's skills in a, a way that i don't think any of us were entirely prepared for but uh it was really exciting and uh at the end, those kids, you know, it had been three days and they were playing outside. They were challenging themselves. Like on, like we had a a group challenges course, um, going to the farm and eating fresh vegetables was really Mm -hmm. difficult for some of the kids. Uh, and at the end, like they were ready to go. But at the same time, some of those kids ran up to us and hugged us. And like, it, it sounds like a simple, weird thing, like, you know, get a hug from a kid, but like I don't know. It kind of, it kind of just meant something like, wow, like we actually like made some form of positive impact. Now impact. Now, did I change a life? I don't know. I don't think so. But there, there's just like these little moments where you get to introduce somebody to, uh, something they've never seen before that I think just kind of mean the way to the world, um, to where like, you have no idea where they're going to take that information or that one little experience and run with it from there. Right. Uh so, yeah, does that answer your question? I, f- I feel like I may have diverted a long no, way. No,
0: that was beautiful, oh. man. And, and, I, and I think you have to give yourself some credit because I think you did change some lives and I think that you uh, said anything less. I mean, you said earlier your goal is to be successful and I think that, uh, I think you're doing it. I think you're doing a great job. Um, I know we're kind of getting deep into your time here. You did mention something to me um, in passing called nature deficit disorder. And I asked you to don't explain it to me then, explain it to me now, because I think it sounds intensely interesting. And I think it correlates really well to what you were just talking about. Uh, I'm assuming, I guess. But uh, does it have something to do with people who don't have access to nature? Or why, why don't you flesh that one out for
1: us? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, nature deficit disorder. Yeah, that's uh, it's pretty weighted. Put on your seatbelt. I'm going to take a quick sip of bourbon here.
0: <laughs> here, I'll join you.
1: Next. Um, so, yeah, now, don't let me get too far ahead of myself. This isn't something
0: where, like... All right, put it in a yeah. nutshell. Give, give us, like, a two-minute elevator pitch. We're in a long elevator.
1: All right. It, is, it was developed by Richard Luth, um, big author, as a description of the human costs of alienation from nature. Um, wow. It's not a real disorder you can be diagnosed with. However, um, it's his idea of an accelerated human disconnect from our natural world. Which is due to electronic communications, poor urban planning, diminishing open spaces, uh, like a a diminishing importance of the um, view of importance of nature, uh, and also, as I spoke of before, a magnified parental fear or fear of the outdoors. Is Uh, that
0: like a helicopter parent?
1: Essentially, yeah. Like Like, people, uh, parents don't want their kids to. Anything that can happen, like you know, kids fall down, they scrape their knees, this and Mm -hmm. that, but people are very afraid of that happening and how that reflects on them as parents with the way media has evolved. Gotcha. Um, And he's essentially kind of put together that list of like contributing factors as a reason for like how in the last 10 to 20 years, we have never seen such high rates of attention difficulties or attention disorders in children. Uh, Obesity is out of control. And that's obviously largely due to our food systems. Um, but also this, this lack of going outdoors, um, never in the last 20 or until the last 20 years, have we seen such high rates of, um, like emotional and physical illnesses, like anxiety and, um, things like that. Like kids are just like, these like that. This is a harsh overgeneralization, but like, Mm. according to these effects, like kids are these tightly wound up little balls of energy that just have nowhere to expel it, um, And it's kind of also leading to, like, a weakened ecological literacy and stewardship of our natural earth. Uh, Like, what kind of future are we leaving, not only for our children, but the earth itself if we're kind of neglecting uh, this outdoor time um, to children just letting them go play? Like, the importance of play is just unparalleled to me. Uh, Even as an adult, um, a couple of days ago, for the first time ever, or I guess – for the first time ever for my niece and nephew. Uh, But for the first time for me in like 15 years, I played a game of monkey in the middle and I had a blast. I'm 24 years old and I had a blast playing monkey in the middle. Uh, So like just the importance of play and connecting with the world around you and the people around you, I think is very understated in our our current society. And um, I mean, I I could go a long ways on nature deficit disorder.
0: Yeah, Uh, man, I feel like we could have like another two hours on that. That's incredible.
1: Yeah, um, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. Like it's not like a medically recognized disorder. However, it's like this encompassing term for a number of different factors in society and things as we've urbanized more. And and don't get me wrong, like we've been moving away from, uh, like you know the not I don't want to say the country, but we've been humans have been moving indoors and urbanizing, urbanizing. yeah of agriculture, which is literally thousands of years. But in the last 40 years, the way electronic communications have developed have brought us further away from that at such an accelerated rate that, um, it's kind of introducing new problems that I don't think anybody had expected or really like talked about too much. Now, Mm -hmm. mind you, this uh, nature deficit disorder was introduced in like 2005. So it's a conversation that's been starting to happen for about 15 years. Um, but I do think something that should go a lot further and kind of be thought about in a different light than we've been thinking about it. Like, you know, maybe don't take recess away from fifth graders, Um, let them be outside and develop those, develop those kind of uncensored social skills with other fifth graders where there's not somebody over their shoulder saying like, Hey, you can't say that. Hey, you can't do that. Um, Like, you know, I, I guess it's it's kind of a there's always a, a weird line to play with things like that,
0: but right yeah give give the kids time to play let them be themselves and if they can immerse themselves in um, what do you call it um, ecological literacy yeah yeah that's beautiful man that's really cool I feel like I'm I'm almost gonna have to have you back on this to just talk about that because that is absolutely incredible. We could go for another couple hours, but uh, I want to, I want to value your time here and uh, start moving towards the future for you guys. Uh, I know you are slated to get married sometime in this strange COVID world that we have going on. Uh, You've got some planning for that. Um, I mean, what's coming up for you, Brock Fisher? Like, what is, what's next for you? What, um, what's the moonshot? I guess, you know, like what, I know you said your legacy is um, changing one person's world, but what, what's that look like? Um, what do you have coming up for yourself?
1: Um, in the very near future, I'm not sure. Um, the seasonal life poses a lot of different challenges and sure. uh, they're ever changing. I'm, I'm used to not knowing what I'll be doing or where I'll be going in six months. Uh, however, if we're talking end goal, uh, I would love to go in the National Park Service, uh, work myself, work my way up that chain. Um, maybe start as an interpretive ranger just somebody that like helps people connect with the park and the land mm-hmm. and realize like why it's important um, now right now I, I do think that's down the road a good bit because uh, currently is not a pretty time to get into national parks right. um, I'm I'm gonna stay away from being political today that's not what this is about um, but also I'm, I'm enjoying doing what we're doing <laughs> either national park or I would just love to open up a small campground resort on a river somewhere someday where we can welcome in like seasonal uh, workers and full-time RV livers uh, to kind of come in and get a spot. uh, Maybe do work trade for their spot or just offer like cheap seasonal sites. Um, And also like maybe just some simple activities around that campground uh, Mm -hmm. that we can, you know, nothing big, like, you know, you won't make a million dollars off a campground, but you get to live simply and happily. Um, but like I said, that's a pretty long-term end goal, and uh, I see myself still a long ways from that, because uh, yeah. first we find our place, which is entirely why we're enjoying doing the season. Traveling over. in the first place.
0: Cool. Yeah. That is beautiful, man. Uh, cool. Hey, I want to acknowledge you, Brock, for the work that you've done and the work that you're currently doing. Um, I think that you sell yourself short when you have to ask yourself if you're actually changing people's lives. Um, I want to acknowledge your vulnerability in this conversation and um, just being, you know, one of my favorite people in the world. So thank you for that. Now, let's get you into these final questions here, buddy. This is kind of how we end every show. We got uh, we got five questions. Some of them are fairly simple. Uh, Some of them are a little bit more brain provoking uh, the first one's easy. Where can we find you on social media? If people want to follow you or, uh, kind of stay in touch with what you're doing, uh, where can they find you there? And do you have like anything that you want to bring awareness to while you're on today?
1: Um, Hmm. Well, on social media, uh, I only have one form or I guess platform and that's Facebook. Um, and I, I've kind of simply kept that around just to stay connected with people. Uh, gotcha. if you're finding me on Facebook. I, I guess search for brock fisher um see if you find the right brock if, if there's photos <laughs> me rafting and laughing uh then that's probably the right brock um and as far as like a platform i'd like to bring attention to today um that's difficult this is such a heavy time in our world in politics yeah. and just everything going on uh please challenge yourself to stay informed um that's all I want to say. I've seen a lot of uh, things such as, if you disagree with me on this, unfollow me or unfriend me. I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of that lately. And uh, I would like to challenge everyone to challenge your own opinion. Um, yeah. Now, admittedly, a lot of the posts I've seen that on, I wholeheartedly agree with. Um, right. But I, personally, I purposefully follow people and stay friends with people that I strongly disagree with on, on social media, such as Facebook simply so I can hear a voice that, like, I... From from a different truth. We all live in our own truths. Uh, Listen to a voice from a different truth. You know, that's that's my challenge for anybody listening today.
0: I love that. Listen to a voice from another truth. That's beautiful. Um, Okay, this one's a little bit easier. What is your favorite outdoor activity and why?
1: Ah. um, I... Man, I absolutely love all of rock climbing, whitewater, and mountain biking. I think I'm going to settle on mountain biking uh, because uh, this flow that you find yourself in. Uh, we didn't really get a chance to talk about it, but our, our conversation got pretty long tonight. Uh, but I encourage you to look into the state of flow, the flow theory by Uh, uh Pretty. Don't ask me to spell that
0: but um, <laughs> we'll put it in the, uh, the show notes. There you go. And I mean, elaborate on a little bit. So like you get into the space where you feel like, uh, you're in the state of flow, which correlates to,
1: um, yeah. So, uh, flow theory is he kind of put a name on being in the zone. If you will, uh, yeah. there's six factors that all have to be present. Uh, you have a concentration, uh, unparalleled on the present moment. You have a merging of action and awareness. Uh, you get a loss of reflective self-consciousness. Um, you have a sense of personal control or agency over the situation at hand. Uh, and there, the activity itself has inherent intrinsic value. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the final kind of factor of it is a, distor- a distortion of temporal experience, which means your sense of time is essentially at a loss. Uh, And when you enter, when you get these six kind of like factors that come together, they can exist independently or together. But when you get all six of them together, you enter what he calls a state of flow, uh, which is where your mind and body come together and do a complete absorption of the activity. Uh, And you can actually like, you know, like get this immediate feedback and where needs become negligible. Like you're not thinking about like, oh, I should need water. Your mind and body are just working together as one. Uh, It started actually as a question of how do artists do it. There would be artists in the 70s that would go three days without food, water, or sleep. And so he started looking into that and kind of defined that.
0: Yeah. And so you find that in mountain biking, and that's why it's probably your favorite.
1: I I most heavily relate the state of flow and mountain biking together, but it can happen in anything. It can happen in craft. It can happen in hiking. Um, it can happen in doing homework, um, but, uh, or, or painting, like, you know, which is kind of how the the whole question came to mind when, uh, Shriksamahai began studying it and what this flow state was. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I find myself there most often while biking.
0: Very cool. I had a friend, uh, who kayaks as well. And he, he says, uh, The best part about kayaking waterfalls is there's nothing else to think of between you, your next stroke, and the drop. And I feel like that's a good epitome of of flow of state.
1: And an unparalleled boat. I love it. Yeah,
0: literally not even thinking about it. Cool. That's beautiful. I'm glad glad you touched on that. Uh, Question number three. What is the favorite place that you've ever been to outdoors? Oh, man. It's a hard one.
1: I don't know the name of it. Um, it is in the McCormick Wilderness Track, uh, in the upper peninsula of Michigan. Uh, it's on, I believe it's called Island Lake, the small peninsula. Um, I was on a wilderness stewardship course one time and it was a a two week off trail backpacking trip, essentially where we taught and were given lessons along the way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, about, I believe we were like nine days in. No, it would have been less than that. Probably seven, because it was like seven days out, seven days back. Yeah. And when we get to the spot, our instructor looks at us. He's like, "Hey guys, like, I don't want to anybody to view this as a negative thing or not, but we are currently in the most remote legal camping spot known in Michigan.
0: Wow. And
1: like, we were out there. He's like, so with that being said, like, enjoy it, go off, find your own space, uh, listen to the sounds." enjoy yourselves, but please be careful because I do not want to carry anybody out today. <laughs> right. right <laughs> and right. Um, it was I actually put a paper on it in school of my experience of when we first walked in. We had had like four days of straight rain, just nasty weather. Um, not super enjoyable. I may say so while, while backpacking. Um, right. But on this this fifth day, we, we kind of get out there and the clouds broke as soon as we're walking on this peninsula and we look mm-hmm. over to this still glass lake and it was like a mirror of the clouds and trees coming together and it was so serene and i i fully believe you can find that at other lakes in the area but uh, it was just a, a specific moment captured me i suppose
0: beautiful it's something about those remote spots that uh, capture your heart in a special way i feel like
1: yeah it's it, uh something about knowing how far away from you or how far away you are from it all kind of like helps you actually feel that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is a tough one. This is where we started getting to the the brain tugging ones. Uh, what is something that you see today as a blessing that in the moment you might've seen as a mistake?
1: Oh boy. Um, I think the entire situation that I'm in right now, actually with, uh, where we are in seasonal work, um, this summer, Chelsea and I are supposed to be in Pennsylvania raft guiding. And given the reality of uh, operating in a COVID environment, as well as a couple of other factors that all kind of like combined into this uh, this whole situation, um, we ended up going out to Pennsylvania for about a week and realizing that we were in the right place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. And so we packed up. And we headed back to Michigan. And uh, we're currently just working a, a 40 hour a week or, yeah, 40 hour a week uh, job, uh, driving a forklift and servicing greenhouse carts. Uh, it's not great, it's just general labor. And at first, like we were really bummed. Um, I cried pretty hard when we made the decision to let's go back to Michigan, let's be safe and essentially secure the dream. It was, kind of our reasoning is yeah, like, like we, we could afford to like really go for broke this summer and the lifestyle we live is all about taking that chance and putting yourself out there. However, if we went for broke and didn't make it, I think the dream may have ended there. Right. So we came back and got this job and it's given us enough security and stability to actually purchase a new camper this summer. Um And we're really excited. It's over twice the size of uh the one we spent the last year and a half and so um we're we're super stoked we pick it up on tuesday and um we'll be renovating that and upgrading so it was a uh a hard decision that we made and one that we were very kind of bummed to have to make however it was completely and entirely a blessing in disguise because we gave ourselves that stability to make forward progress and continue what we're doing, what we're doing, in a more comfortable and feasible way for the long term. Um, right. So I guess what I would say from that is like, don't be afraid to put yourself out there and take risks. Um, however, it's also just as important to know when the risk is too great. Kind of like mm-hmm. our and uh, River story.
0: <laughs> it's full circle, buddy. That's yeah. awesome. All right, last question. When it's all said and done. When you're gone and your legacy is being discussed around a campfire, what do you hope people are saying about you?
1: Um, obviously good things, you know. <laughs> I, I would hope I, I would hope they're good things is what I meant by obviously. Um, but uh, I, I would hope that like the the main legacy I leave behind is that I was good to people. Uh, I'm not a a particularly religious man. Um, although I have a, a deeply rooted respect for it um, as I used to be. Um, but after like my kind of transformation or uh, I guess you could call that into who I am today. Um, I, I found that like there should still be a reason just to be good to people. Um, like, you know, the alternative is just being sour and mean. Uh, and I don't, I don't see any use for that. Like why, why would you ever want to portray or pass on a negative feeling to another person? So, um, kind of back to that positive impact thing. Like I just, even if I don't leave a significantly positive impact, like I, I would like to leave behind an idea that I was good to people. And that's not to say like that I've never made mistakes in my life or been rude or like kind of unjust, um. However, uh nobody's perfect and I kind of just strive to to be good to fellow humans, you know. Beautiful.
0: Hey, Brock, thanks for being on here today. It's an honor to have you here and I can't wait for people to listen to this, man. There's so much good uh good knowledge and wisdom being dropped here. We appreciate you, man.
1: Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me out. I was uh super excited when you when you asked me to speak. Yeah, or I guess chat with you. It was chat. Like,
0: A fireside was chat if you will
1: fireside
0: chat I love it alright thanks buddy and just like that we're through our first episode of camping out thanks so much to Brock every time I have a conversation with the guy I leave feeling better about myself and about the world in general so I hope you guys had that same feeling I hope you guys found some bits of wisdom within our uh, our ramblings and, and fun there uh, if you enjoyed the podcast please 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 go ahead and subscribe to it whether it be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you might be listening to podcasts. And then a review also helps us out a lot. The idea is to grow a community. So spread it to your friends, your family, or anybody else that you think might find value in this. And we'll catch you next week. Thanks,
1: guys.